Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife as always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to drag each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. Today is a sports episode and since the NFL has kicked off, there's a lot of football stuffs. Yay. But we'll start with your favorite, the world of the NHL, which is so close to starting. We're like less than a month away from you and I personally being at a game. So, Well, first up in the NHL, we have a bit of COVID news. The NHL announced this past week that it expects all but a few players to be fully vaccinated for COVID by the time the regular season starts, beginning on October 12th. That is fantastic. And they're hoping that all players will be fully vaccinated at some point during the season. It's a little weird right now because we don't have our full actual rosters because some people are still trying out for teams. And the NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly said that the latest information suggests 10 players or less will not be fully vaccinated by opening day on the regular season. Which would have them at about 98%, which isn't so bad. Right. But I guess the good news is that there's only one piece of news in COVID news in the NHL, which is not a bad place to be, I guess. Better than several times over the past year and a half. Right. We do have some signings that have happened over the past week. The first one is Ryan Donato has signed a one-year $750,000 contract with the Seattle Kraken on Monday. The 25-year-old forward became an unrestricted free agent after the San Jose Sharks didn't extend a qualifying offer. Also this week, uh, Tyler Bozak agreed to a one-year $750,000 contract with the St. Louis Blues on Tuesday. The 35-year-old was an unrestricted free agent. He had previously played with the St. Louis Blues, so it's not an extension because the contract ended before an extension was done, but they re-signed him to play another year. And there's a funny bit of news in the St. Louis Blues. We were literally talking about this player the other night, wondering where he was going to be possibly playing this season. The St. Louis Blues added two players to a professional tryout contracts. Those two players would include forward James Neal and Michael Froelich, who both had pretty off years in Edmonton last year, so... Neil has kind of disappeared from the radar for the most part, and so I'm not surprised that he's got a tryout contract. Only a few years ago, he was part of that like front line with Edmonton that was just scoring unstoppable numbers of goals, but he was that big body that liked to get in front and help them score them, so like... Well, he is getting up there. Yeah, definitely. So like, I'm not surprised if they tell him he's too old and a bag of bones. We'll see. I would really be sad to see him playing for St. Louis. Obviously, as a Blackhawks fan, we don't really like the Blues. So it would be a bummer. But at the same time, I I really do enjoy watching him play. So, But talking about the Edmonton Oilers, Kaylor Yamamoto agreed to a one-year $1.175 million contract with them on Saturday. He's one of their younger players. The kid performs, so it's like... Why not sign him to a short contract if he's not really requesting a big one? But I don't know. He's a key piece in their second and third line. He kind of always jumps up and down. So but I think the biggest news this week is the fact that Zidane Chara is on the move again. Yeah. He agreed to a one-year contract with the New York Islanders on Saturday. The financial terms have not been disclosed actively. The 44-year-old defenseman is the oldest player in the NHL and will play his 24th career season. A lot of people don't even get half that, so, like, yikes. Well, when you're the size of the missing link and you can skate 
and play decent defense and for a long time be the guy that won the hardest shot contest at the All-Star game right. until they stopped letting him compete, <laughs> it kind of makes sense. I don't know that they're going to see anything out of him that's especially show-stopping this season. I think it'll be probably his last contract or next to last contract. I don't see him continuing on until he's 50. The reality is like he, he'll probably keep playing that next season after this one, possibly. I agree with you. I think that's going to be pretty much the wrap-up situation for him. Right. But who knows? If he has a good year, maybe they go a little further, you know? I think it's going to be hard because you do have a lot of younger players coming into the NHL this season, and so they have the speed, and, you know, a 44-year-old's not going to have that. The reality is, like, if you're smart, if you really think next season's going to be his last season, you sign him and pull, like, a Martin Brodeur like the St. Louis Blues did, which was bring him in for a season even though you know he's not going to be your main guy and just use him more as a coach than a player itself. Well, and... I would say if he was in Boston, it'd be like a PR thing to keep him on, and that's just how much it costs. But he's been moving around, so I don't think anyone has any like PR use out of him. Well, on top of that, too, Boston is a contending team. They don't really like to keep those types of players around right. necessarily. In some fun hockey news, it's been announced that the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres are going to play in the 2022 NHL Heritage Classic in Hamilton, Ontario on March 13th. It will be the sixth Heritage Classic since November 22nd, 2003. What was weird about this for me is it's usually two Canadian teams playing each other in the Heritage Classic, so it was a little strange. Buffalo, New York is almost... Canada. It's literally on one of the Great Lakes. So yes, you're you're right. They're just a hop, skip, and a jump from being in Canada, but they are still in the United States. Close enough. Yeah. And this one is more of, I don't know if it's a PR thing or players behaving badly, but... A little bit of both. In an interview with ESPN that aired on Thursday... Evander Kane said that he never bet on NHL games, but admitted that he has a gambling problem. He also said that he no longer gambles and has received counseling for the issue. This has all come up because he had to deny the allegations made by his estranged wife in a social media post on July 31st that her husband bet on and threw NHL games, which, as you know, that's a big no-no. Right. The NHL said in a statement on July 31st that it intended to conduct a full investigation into the allegations against Kane. On Thursday, NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly said that the investigation is ongoing, but that they expect to have a report on the findings soon. Well, the reality is you got to think, Evander Kane gambling, this is not the first incident of it kind of popping up in his history. Like, he claimed bankruptcy only a year ago because of his gambling debts. And prior to that, like, it was discussed even seasons before that about how large his debt was getting that his contract wasn't even going to be able to pay it off. Right. And it's like, you're a professional athlete, dude. There's no way you should ever be in the realm of gambling to that level. Like, ever. Even on an NHL salary. Well, and... I just have problems with the fact that it is his estranged wife making these allegations. I feel like she needs to have the receipts or not be trying to start stuff on social media. 
The thing is, it's not far-fetched for him to have done something to this No, level. it's not. And, like, if she knew that, she should be going to the NHL about it, not social media. Right. In my opinion. Because it feels like this is just her attacking her husband and not actually, like, doing the right thing. Yeah. The Kane situation and his wife situation as well is also kind of a touchy, weird subject. So right. they definitely... Net did not have a healthy relationship, and that's come up also in the news between Kane and his wife in the past. So. Well, they have no money, so I think I know what they were fighting about. Yeah. The 2022 NHL draft will be held on July 7th and 8th. The Canadians are set to host the draft at the Bell Centre. The 2022 event will mark the 27th time the city of Montreal will host the NHL draft, and it will be the first time in Montreal since 2009. So Yeah. It's been a little while since it's been there, but at the same time, like, Canadian teams do get to host pretty often. We also had a retirement get announced this past week. Zach Smith announced on Friday that he's going to retire after 12 seasons. The 33-year-old Ford last played in the NHL with the Chicago Blackhawks in 2019-2020 season. His last game was on February 12th, 2020 before he had back surgery in March and was placed on long-term injured reserve. Prior to that season, he played 11 seasons with the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, technically like 10 full seasons, but he got traded mid, mid-year mid like players do in the right. hockey world. So, But uh, that was definitely a guy I was kind of hoping to get a little bit more out of when we did trade for him. But at the same time, it's you had I'm, back surgery. It's kind of a big thing. I'm just imagining that it didn't go well. Well, or at least not well enough to be able to play hockey again. Well, yeah. And on top of that, back surgeries are usually not the easiest thing to recover from, especially as an athlete. Yeah. But moving into the NFL, which is going to be the sport that never quits this episode. I thought I had a lot of notes until I saw what you copied and pasted into the notes, and I was like, oh, God. Yes, it's never going to stop. I hope everyone has a snack, a beverage, is ready to listen. Yeah. We'll start off with COVID news. The Los Angeles Rams announced that they will require all home game attendees age 12 and over to provide proof of COVID vaccination or a negative COVID test taken within 72 hours of game day in order to obtain entry. They are also going to require that masks be worn by all attendees regardless of vaccination status. The updated COVID policy is being enacted in accordance with a mandate passed down by the L.A. County Department of Public Health on Friday, but the rule is set to go into effect on October 7th. The Rams are joining the Raiders, Saints, and Seahawks as the only NFL teams with this enforcement in place. And the Buffalo Bills saw this from the Rams and said, we're going to do one-up from what you're doing. The Buffalo Bills have announced that they will require proof of vaccination from fans in order to attend all upcoming home games. They are the second team to instate this kind of rule behind the Las Vegas Raiders. So not just testing, you absolutely have to be vaccinated in order to come into the stadium no matter what. They had a game the previous week and the local county health office tracked back multiple cases of COVID-19 to the stadium itself, so... They're just protecting themselves. Correct. They don't want to be responsible for the spread of COVID-19 as an organization. This law that was put into place by the county 
also includes upcoming Buffalo Sabres games as well. So oh, okay. it'll be both hockey and football in Buffalo will be required to be fully vaccinated to attend. That's good to know. Yep. So maybe a trip to Buffalo for us. No, thank you. Okay. And then in New Orleans, like they don't have enough to deal with. Right. Multiple Saints assistants and wide receiver Michael Thomas have tested positive for COVID. It is six assistant coaches, a team nutritionist, and the wide receiver that have all tested positive. Following the positive test, the Saints will be enacting COVID mitigation protocol, which includes a mask mandate and daily testing for all players and staff, regardless of vaccination status. It's in the house. We got to deal with it. The even crazier part is the game that they're playing today, they're going to be down six assistant coaches, which is kind of unheard of. It's going to be weird. There's going to be literally far more players than there will be coaches on the field right now. Are they going to have a janitor on the sideline? Coaching? Yeah. Be like, hey, you're the defensive line coach today. Am I? You guys need to sweep it up over there. Yeah. See what I did? Yes, I see what you did. On the subject of player health, the Detroit Lions have lost Jeff Okuda for the remainder of the season after he ruptured his Achilles during practice this week. I think players just need to be more careful with this tendon because, like, there's a lot of guys with this injury, but, like, rupturing it is not pretty, and I don't want to picture it anymore, so please stop injuring yourself in this way. For my sake. Right. If not for your own. Also this week, the Washington football team's starting quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, will miss six to eight weeks after suffering a hip subluxation. 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 He just dislocated his hip. That sucks. It does. Yeah. I can't imagine it taking eight weeks unless it's just really bad. If it didn't want to go into place or something. Right. The New York Jets left tackle... Mickey Becton will be out four to six weeks after injuring his knee in the game against the Carolina Panthers last week. And then San Francisco 49ers running back Raheem Mostert left Sunday's game after tearing his knee cartilage during the game. He is expected to miss eight weeks. What I read actually said that he is set to undergo season-ending knee surgery. And the decision to undergo surgery comes with a longer timeline for a return but is better in the long term than doing rehab on his knee like they were expecting when they pulled him out of the game. Gotcha. So he is set to undergo cartilage surgery and that it's going to be about six months actually for recovery instead of those eight weeks. The San Francisco 49ers cornerback Jason Verrett suffered a torn ACL in Sunday's game against the Detroit Lions. There wasn't a time for recovery based on what I saw when I read the article, so I don't know if anything new has come up since, but actively, no news. And then the Denver Broncos announced that both Ronald Darby and Jerry Judy will both be added to the IL. Jerry Judy is expected to miss four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain, and Darby is out due to a hamstring injury for an unknown amount of time. Las Vegas Raiders defensive tackle Gerald McCoy will miss the remainder of the season after suffering an injury during Monday's game. I couldn't find out what the actual injury was anywhere that I was looking, so... That's weird. they either holding their cards close to the chest or sports writers don't care about the Raiders. I'm not sure which. Looks like it's actually a knee injury, and he will be out for the remainder of the season is what I'm seeing now, so... Yes, it's a knee injury, according to multiple online sources. Yeah. The Dallas Cowboys defensive end, Mm D.E., 
Demarcus Lawrence is set to miss what they're calling significant time. After undergoing foot surgery, he ended up breaking one of the bones in his foot. That's what the surgery is for. And it happened on Wednesday during practice, so not like you could even blame it on a game, on someone messing him up. It was his fifth metatarsal, is that right? Yes. Okay. What does that even mean on his foot? Like, where do you start your count one to five? From the big toe down or from the little toe up? I assume inside out. Yeah. But I'm not looking at any pictures at the moment. And then the last thing of player health I have personally is the Baltimore Ravens cornerback Chris Westry is expected to miss at least a month with a torn lateral meniscus. So fun times with that. I feel like it's going to be longer than a month. We'll see how bad it is, I guess, in that instance. And then there are a few signings as well that have happened within the past week. The New Orleans Saints and cornerback Marshawn Lattimore agreed to a five-year, $97.6 million contract extension with $44 million fully guaranteed and $68.3 million in total guarantees, which I don't understand the difference between that and fully guaranteed. I guess it's only guaranteed if you do something. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of weird that there'd be two guarantees in it. And the Philadelphia Eagles and defensive end. You already had a defensive end literally in the last one, so like... I'm confused where the confusion is, I guess. I always think I'm going to get these wrong, so I look to you to be like, yes or no. Yes. Yeah, defensive end. One day I'm going to say it's the unicorn end, and you're going to be like, no. Yeah. And defensive end Josh Sweat agreed to a three-year, $40 million contract extension with $26.92 million in guaranteed money and a $10 million signing bonus. The extension keeps Sweat under contract with the Eagles through the 24th season. It's important to keep a defensive end in uh, your roster, obviously, but... I mean, I feel like it would be more important to keep a unicorn end. Yeah, I don't think those exist, though. At least not in the NFL. Believe in magic. (laughs) Okay. But good news coming from the New Orleans Saints this past week. They are planning to return to their home stadium after the Week 3 game against the Patriots. The Saints have been operating out of Texas for the better part of a month because of Hurricane Ida. They'll continue practicing at Texas Christian University's facilities until Friday. Right here in Fort Worth. Yeah. Yeah. So actively what you're telling me right now is there's two NFL teams here in Dallas-Fort Worth. We have two home teams temporarily. No. <laughs> okay. One's a home team, one's away from home. But also home team. On to the MLB. That didn't actually seem quite as long as we expected it to be in the NFL. It was but... way shorter than I expected, but I'm just now seeing your notes for the MLB, and I want to go home, but I'm already home. There's really not that much. Just a tad more than what you had, obviously. It's more than what I want. Yeah. The MLB announced this week that all non-playing personnel on playoff teams will be required to be fully vaccinated before the beginning of the playoffs. I feel like this is just standard at this point, though. Yeah. The reality is the teams are going to have to travel more because you play only so many games and then travel to the other team's stadium and then play so many games and travel back. So trying to cover their bases of all the people that actually are traveling with the team, being vaccinated will hopefully cut down on the total number of sick people right. during that time. And then we had a little bit of player health. Uh, The San Diego Padres placed pitcher Blake Snell on the 10-day IL because of a left abductor groin strain. So any type of groin strain, I feel like, is never good. That's just coming from me, I guess. 
I don't know how it affects the female variety, but I would imagine any strain in the groin area is probably not great. Just assume it would be as bad as yours. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. The Yankees outfielder Joey Gallo was removed from Saturday's game against the Indians with neck tightness, and he is currently considered day-to-day. You also have Cody Bellinger, who has a non-displaced rib fracture stemming from a collision with Gavin Lux in left center field during a series against the D-backs earlier this week. They said he's going to be back the next day, but I put day-to-day in my notes because I don't believe it. Yeah, any type of rib fracture, I would imagine, is not the most comfortable thing to play with, especially in the outfield where, like, diving for the ball could... Happen? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a wise decision. There have been three teams that have clinched playoff spots as of this morning, not counting today's games. Actively, we have the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, and the Milwaukee Brewers. All National League teams so far. The American League races are really close for the most part. I would say the White Sox are pretty much a shoe-in to win the division. They're 10 games ahead of the Indians. We literally would just have to lose every game from here on out for them to pretty much have a chance. Well, you didn't win last night's game. No, but we definitely won the night before the game that we went to. It was quite the blowout, so. Yeah. I will say that I guess it was the fourth inning of Friday night's game. Was super exciting. Best inning of baseball I've ever seen. Yeah. But that's not saying much because it's baseball. (laughs) That's heartbreaking. To me, anyways, hurts right here. At least I knew what was happening versus the 12,000 children that were there. Right. And this week, the MLB has announced the complete 2021 MLB postseason schedule. It is set to open with the American League wildcard game on Tuesday, October 5th, followed by the National League wildcard game on Wednesday, October 6th. Game 1 of the 2021 World Series is scheduled for Tuesday, October 26th, I'm assuming that it's not a hard date on that, but we'll see. If you'd like, you can view the full schedule on the MLB website. I'm glad that they gave a couple days because like, the MLB season ends on the 3rd, so you have an actual travel day if you have to go somewhere for the wildcard game. Right. Last year, because of the compressed season, they did not. They literally finished their game, got on a plane, and then played the next day, and it was just like... No time. Yeah. It's like kind of... Got to have a little pause between traveling. Give the players some chance to rest and then play again. And then in fun Chicago White Sox news, which you know I disagree with. Right. We've discussed this already, just not on the podcast. Yeah. Pitcher Mike Wright was suspended three games. As well, manager Tony Russo was also suspended for one on Saturday by the MLB, which concluded that Wright intentionally threw at the Los Angeles Angels' Shohei Hotani during the ninth inning of the game on Thursday. Anybody in their right mind, unless you're an Anaheim fan, would understand that when you jump back into a ball, how does a pitcher intentionally hit you? Did the pitcher go, I'm going to tell you, like, through my brainwaves to jump backwards into it? So I haven't seen the video for this, so you're going to have to answer a few questions. When he threw the pitch, you said the guy has to jump back in order to get hit. So was the ball behind him? Correct. When he pitched it and not over the plate. It was a wild pitch, arguably, without a doubt. And I feel like because it is so far behind them, that's the reason that the MLB is saying that it was intentional because it was such a wild pitch that it's like, oh, you totally meant to hit him, but you missed. But then he fell into it anyway. So now you're screwed out of this many games. 
if that's the argument they're making, then there should be no suspension because, like, how could it be intentional if he threw it behind the guy? And Wright, over the last couple weeks, has been off. Like, he, even in, at that at bat, he threw the ball wild pitch three times. So it, they weren't behind him. They were all over the place. So it's like, arguably, you could just say, hey, clearly this guy doesn't have his accuracy right now at this at bat. Though you could also argue that they were three attempts to hit him and they were just but so they bad. they weren't. There were pitches that were on the opposite side of the plate from him as but well. But they were just so bad that they went on the opposite oh side instead of hitting him. <laughs> he, he intentionally wanted to suck on a national television broadcast, you're right. No, he was aiming for the guy. He wasn't. It just no. didn't always hit. It was it was a bad judgment call by the Major League Baseball Association. I get it. The umpires throwing him out of the game. If you thought in that moment that that was the right thing, but the MLB had the final say on the suspension and it's following like, video reviews and stuff. Right. Yeah. It's like come on, guys. Like it's pretty hard to be like he aimed for him. It's not like he pointed at him and was like, "I'm gonna hit you." I'm gonna get you. Yeah, exactly. Get it's a situation of arguing intent with no proof. So I don't know. I mean. Through the league, they can do what they want. Yeah. And honestly, like, La Russa, if he's gone a game, it's not the end of the world. The team is still the team, and they're going to go through with the game plan with or without the coach being in the dugout. So I think it's, like, it's the bench coaches moving up. Correct. That will yeah. pick it up. So okay. I think they'll be fine. Yeah. I'm sure he's already served it as of when this podcast goes out. Yeah. And we're going to start with some COVID news for the NBA. They are moving ahead with the plan to test unvaccinated players often. In addition to rigorous testing, unvaccinated players will be required to wear masks at team facilities and during travel. The league told its teams on Tuesday that those who are fully vaccinated against COVID won't need to submit to regular testing. Those who are unvaccinated, however, will have one test on practice or travel days and at least one test on game days. There will be scenarios where vaccinated players must be tested as well, such as when showing potential symptoms of COVID. It also remains possible that vaccinated players may have to test weekly during training camp, though the talks on that issue are continuing. The NBA and the NBA Players Association also released a statement this morning basically saying that they're not going to require players to be vaccinated, but all those hoops that they announced earlier in the week are going to be required. Right. They don't have a choice. So, But the NBA hopes that the players will all get vaccinated, obviously. They said that about 85% of the league's players were vaccinated by the end of last season, and the teams are set to begin training camps on September 28th. 85% isn't bad. I don't think that's where it should be, but it's not bad. Yeah, you definitely want to be somewhere at least in the 90 percentile in comparison because a lot of other leagues are actively already there. Yeah. So it's like y'all are kind of the last to get there. Like the MLB, I think, is the only one that's still actively competing with them. I was going to say, I didn't think everyone was up there. There weren't too many injuries, so we'll get this quick. Go figure in the offseason. There's probably not much going on. Right. Uh, But the Pacers guard Edmund Sumner underwent successful surgery on a torn Achilles tendon. He suffered the tear during an off-season workout and is set to be out indefinitely. So we'll see how long that ends up actually being. Just quit hurting your freaking Achilles tendon, everybody. Stop it. (laughs) Wear better socks and shoes. I assume that's not actually what's causing the injuries, but... I was going to say, I I doubt seriously that's the, the... 
cause of all the issues, the root cause, at least. There was also a trade this past week. The Boston Celtics acquired, I'm pointing at you. <laughs> I didn't know because I was looking at the notes. Uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez. That guy? Yes. From the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis will receive Chris Dunn, Carson Edwards, and a 2026 second round pick swap. So they don't just take the pick. I guess they swap picks for that round. I feel bad for Chris Dunn because this is the second time he's been traded during the offseason. Yes. So it's like, oh, you were looking for a home here? Okay, well, we're moving you somewhere else now. We don't want you. And there were two big signings while we were kind of gone from the podcast this last week. The Denver Nuggets have signed Aaron Gordon to a four-year extension worth $92 million. That's a lot of dollars. I couldn't find any guarantees on that, so actively just $92 million, which is still a pretty good chunk of change. That's just $92 million, yeah. that's all. Could you imagine like us talking about NHL players getting contracts like just no. regularly like this? Like, don't get this me, doesn't happen. Don't get me wrong, Aaron Gordon is a starting player for the roster, so like it makes sense that he's getting this much money, but... His AAV is 23 a year. Yeah. That's ridiculous. We also had a signing close to here. The Mavericks signed free agent guard Frank Natilikina. There you go. I don't think that's right, but it was a hell of a try. The number eight pick in the 2017 NBA draft joins Dallas after four seasons in New York. Yeah. The monies were not available to speculate. I tried to look it up this morning. They still weren't, so hooray. Can't blame me for that, even though I'm not a sports person, don't like talking about sports. So uh, we have a bit of other basketball slash golf news. Okay. Uh, Steph Curry is going to be joining NBC's coverage team for the upcoming Ryder Cup. Good job, Stephanie. Steph. Steph. I know, it's Steph on, but it's spelled Steven. Yeah, but the Ryder Cup is where multiple countries, like, have teams to play golf against one another. So it's like team golf, almost like... I guess national team golf. So does someone do one hole and then the second person does the second? I'm not sure exactly how it works. I've never watched it, but one person hits it from the tee, and then the next person hits it from there, and then the next person hits it from wherever it is until it's like all the way around. Yeah, I don't know that that's the way it works, but I don't know either. I'd prefer it that way. I want to see it that way. So you have to like stack it, hoping that like your third guy is always the one on the green making the putts. Yeah. Yeah. We also have news out of the L.A. area. The Clippers broke ground on a new arena in Inglewood. The $1.8 billion, billion with a B, privately funded Intuit Dome will open in 2024 and will feature a team practice facility, team offices, retail space, and more. The Clippers currently play at Staples Center, which is also the home of the L.A. Lakers and the NHL's L.A. Kings. So for a long time, the Clippers have shared that stadium, and then there's like a little baby stadium next to it, and that used to be the Clippers stadium, but I think it's either set to be torn down or has been. I haven't been up to Staples Center in a lot of years, so I can't speak to it, but they were actively talking about new stadiums for a couple years now, so it's good that they finally broke ground on it. $1.8 billion. Yeah. With a B. Yeah, at the event that they were doing, and they had some band playing that none of the players really enjoy music-wise as they're breaking the ground. And they panned over to Kawhi Leonard, and he literally looks like, I 
do not want to be here, I hate this type of a publicity stunt. So not the funny, funny guy, Kawhi, that you normally get where he's laughing and smiling all the time. He literally just looked like, shoot me. And it's like, oh, you're supposed to be happy about this. But let's get to your favorite MLS soccer news, because I know you've got some. You I always do. I don't know that I'm excited. Why? Because it's soccer oh, okay. in the United States. But it's good news as far as my understanding is in soccer. <laughs> it's a step in the right direction news. So the U.S. Soccer Federation announced on Tuesday an offer of identical contract proposals for both the men's and women's national teams in order to align the teams under one collective bargaining agreement. The women's national team's Player Association on Wednesday called the offer nothing more than a publicity stunt. On Twitter, they said USSF's PR stunts and bargaining through the media will not bring us any closer to a fair agreement. And I can see where they're coming from, where it looks like they're just doing this so that people will like it or agree with what they're doing but in all reality like being under the same bargaining agreement doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to get equal pay so it just depends on how everything shakes down so we'll have to kind of wait to see how all the details kind of break out if it's like percentage based off of income from the games because if that's the case the women still aren't going to be getting paid nearly as much as the men and like the men have been playing with no collective bargaining agreement since 2018 when theirs expired and the women's doesn't expire until the end of this year and so like it's sort of sketchy just in the fact that the men didn't even need one apparently not until the women were talking about fair pay right so it's just a little weird a little hinky as i discussed last week i think an easy solution would be to just pay the women more and the men less cuz the men already make more money at the club level than women ever will right which is also a problem but at the same time like it solves the international soccer side of things a little bit i mean for the national teams they should just all agree that the money goes into a pot and then everything gets divided based equally. on the games played and that kind of situation. Something that's yeah. more fair than the media likes boys more, so the boys get more money. Well, and and the women's games, they play exactly the same amount of games that the men's do every single year. So, like, the games played thing would be legitimately fair. Like, right. if you represent the country for X amount of games, this is how much money you get from the pot, period. Right. But we'll see how it all actually works out. But in more exciting news, we have the Premier League and the Bundesliga back into effect now that international break is over for World Cup qualifiers. It's been kind of an interesting week. Uh, Newcastle at one point was winning the game, and then we decided Leeds was just too good of a team to not let a draw occur. So you had a goal scored by Alan St. Maximin by Newcastle and Rafinha by Leeds. So 1-1 draw for my team, which... It's like if you're going to beat a team, Leeds is who you needed to beat. Right. Like, they're bottom-of-the-table team, just like yourself. There are certain teams that you definitely need to beat to stay out of relegation. And that was one of them. Yeah. Without a doubt. And then Manchester United defeated West Ham this morning, 2-1. to one. Ronaldo again on yes. the scoreboard for you guys. Since he's been there, y'all have been just untouchable. So uh, he scored in the 34th minute, and then Lingard scored in the 89th minute. And then Ben Rahama, Ben Rama scored in the 30th minute for West Ham. So I'm sure I 
butchered his name, in which case I apologize, West Ham fans. I don't follow West Ham that close. Right. But I don't want to slap you in the face either by getting the name wrong. I do. Okay. Um, But with updated standings actively in the Premier League, you have Chelsea in first place, Liverpool in second place, Manchester United in third place, Brighton in fourth, Man City in fifth, and then we've got good old Leicester City down in 12th, Arsenal in 13th, and Newcastle United even after the draw, 18th place. We're up one spot from last week from the 19th spot, so. That's too bad. Yeah. How many spots are in the relegation? Where does that start? Three spots, so the 20th, the 19th, and the 18th spot. So you're in relegation right now? Actively, yes. Okay. Yeah. And then we had some Bundesliga action go on this weekend. Bayern Munich defeated VFL Bochum yesterday 7-0. to Which is not good for me because that's too many goals. Goal differential, yeah. Uh, Leroy Sané is scored in the 17th. Kimmich scored in the 27th and the 65th. Gnabry scored in the 32nd. Robert Lewandowski in the 61st. No one is surprised. Maxime Choupo-Moting scored in the 79th. And then there was an own goal on the 43rd from VFL Bochum. It was Lampropoulos. I think he's Greek, and I'm sure I just butchered the crap out of that name. But definitely a good game for Bayern Munich. It's definitely not a game to be shocked that Lewandowski's on the scoreboard because, you know, it's another game. If he doesn't score a goal, it's just weird. That's why he's called Lewandowski in this house. And then this morning's game was a little interesting. You had Borussia Dortmund facing off Union Berlin. You guys won 4-2, but technically each team scored three goals. It just happened to be that one of them was an own goal for Union Berlin. So you technically had four goals with your 4-2 win versus 3-3. But Rafael Guerrero scored in the 10th minute for you guys. Erling Holland got on the board twice, the 24th and the 83rd. Holland Golski. I don't know that that quite rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Hall Goland. And then Friedrich scored in the 52nd minute on an own goal, uh, so that gave you your four goals. Kruse scored in the 57th with a PK for Union Berlin, and Volgsamer scored in the 81st for Union Berlin. So, fun times there. But that that does give us a pretty clear picture for the top three, finally. It's, it was a little bit of a slow start for both of our teams this season, so it's nice to see it changing a little bit there. Bayern Munich actively sits in first place with a goal differential of 16 over 5 for Wolfsburg. They have the same amount of points, but uh, the goal differential is a little weighted in our direction. You don't say. Obviously, that has Wolfsburg in second, Borussia Dortmund in third. Then you have uh, Bayer Leverkusen in fourth. FC Mons in 5th, and then we have Red Bull Leipzig actively sitting in 12th place, and Stuttgart in 14th place, and then the one that's kind of crazy for me is like, three years ago, Borussia Mönchengladbach was like one of the top three teams that they kept nipping at your and my team's heels, 16th place, they're just slipping and sliding all over the place when it comes to the actual standings, so I don't know what's going on with that team, hopefully they get it together, because... I don't like to see teams go from glory to just nothing. It's just heartbreaking to watch, especially for the fans. Right, right. I feel like it's still early enough in the season they could turn it around. Oh, it's definitely early enough in the season. So We're only five games in, so there's definitely plenty of season left. It feels like more games than that has been played, but you were talking about the World Cup qualifiers. That's probably why it feels like that. Yeah, for about a, almost two weeks, there was no Bundesliga, so yeah. that helps. But I think that pretty much wraps up the sports 
episode again. Not too crazy long. No, no. I appreciate when we fast track through all the sports because then I can talk about books, which is so much better. Well, for you anyways. Yes. For me, it's like, where is the caffeine? Shoot it right into the arm. I swear one time I thought you were going to start snoring. I, no, it's not that bad. (laughs) It's pretty bad. Um, Either way, guys, stay connected with us on social media. We will have all of our social media linked in the show notes. And then we will catch you next Thursday for the book episode. Bye, guys. Bye.